tonight I have a huge, ginormous piece of chocolate cake. It is chocolate cake with a chocolate fudgy layer and then more chocolate cake and then a white chocolate um, fudgy layer and then another layer of chocolate cake and then it's iced with chocolate ganache. I can't even discuss what I went in to earn this. It would be inappropriate for my radio show. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it is fantastic. I got it at a restaurant we went out to eat this evening. Um, afternoon, really. And I saved it. And I've been, you know, because it's PMS time. And um, <laughs> there's lots of things that are probably inappropriate for my radio show that I've already said. I mean, there is that one epic episode where I spent a good 35 minutes discussing anal sex in detail. Um, <clears throat> anyways. Tonight's plot drift is uh, Rodney and John bond accidentally, and um, there's a couple ways we could go with this, and um, I'm going to get started as soon as I have another bite of my cake. Give me a second here, because it's it's like, it's you don't even understand. It's, it's also got, as if there wasn't enough chocolate on it, there's also a drizzle of chocolate syrup on top, across it. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous how amazing and beautiful this thing is i take a picture but i've eaten most of it and it would be terrible to do that okay anyway i should take a picture before i um started eating it well it's got one two three four five six layers of chocolate and then it's that and it's like drizzled with chocolate sauce so it's just ridiculous um and i I have regular milk to go to wash it down because chocolate milk would be too much. And also, I don't have any chocolate milk. I could have made some, but I really didn't have time for that before the show started. But mostly, I didn't have any chocolate milk. Anyways, I could have made some. I just didn't have time. Now, I feel bad. Like, I didn't have time to make chocolate milk, and it's terrible. It's terrible over here. Okay. <laughs> John and Rodney accidentally bond. Okay, so, like, the first, um, I guess this prompt about, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, which is why it took me, which is why the radio show got created so late, because I really, I have a whole bunch of prompts for guests and stuff. Um, speaking of which, if you'd like to be a guest on Plot Drift, um, send me an email, and, um, we'll see what we can do, um, you have to be able to plot on the fly, and you won't get your plot prompt until I create the radio show for you. So you will literally be plotting on the air, and I do have between five and 6,000 listeners. So um, do keep that in mind. There are over 11,000 people on my website, and um, they can listen as well. Um, so just, you know, just keep that in mind and make sure you can handle that kind of um, situation be- um, before you sign up. Anyways... <coughs> back to it. So our first, my first run, um, location, location, location. Whenever I'm building a plot, my my first step is to, after I have created my um, basic theme or, you know, the thrust of my plot, and no, that was not sexual innuendo, um, I need to figure out where they're going to be. You know, so I have John and Rodney. Those are my characters. And... 
the thrust of the plot is accidental bonding. Accidental bonding. I'm writing this down. Because um, I found um, later on, trying to do it from the podcast, when I when I drifted with Jilly, when I did my part, and I was... <laughs> it wasn't as... Um, I felt like I should have been writing it when I was doing it, and writing it from the podcast was like, oh, I don't know. It just kind of messed with my process a little bit. I can't explain it. We all have a process, and that's part of my process, writing it down. Okay. So, location. Um, in canon, John and Rodney meet in Antarctica. So, they're in an ancient facility. There's every reason to believe that something in the facility that Rodney has John turn on for him could facilitate some kind of physical, mental, emotional bond. So, let's say... Couple hours after John sits down in the chair, Rodney brings him a device and he says, Here, Shepherd, tell me what you think of this. And John take starts to take it and he touches it and it lights up and they're fucked. That's just, it accidental bonding happens there. Or I could wait till they get to Atlantis. There's lots of issues with it happening in Antarctica because it traps John um, into going to Atlantis. Um, it removes, in a, in a lot of ways, his um, autonomy because Rodney wants to go to Atlantis. He needs to go to Atlantis for the mission and is already slotted to go. Um, we'll be going. And John is the one that had to flip a coin. Um, and so you have to ask yourself, if John had said no, what would the SGC have done? Would they have pressured John into going? So what happens when these two men who've never really interacted beyond that brief thing in the chair um, accidentally bond at the outpost? What kind of bond is it? How far apart can they be? Um, is it uh, is it physical? Empathic? Or telepathic? Does this bond alter their physiology in any way? Do they keep it to themselves? Rodney know I think that Rodney would know almost immediately that it's a big problem. Number one, if the SGC finds out that he has bonded to this Air Force pilot that they haven't fully vetted yet, it could, could um it could damage his ability to go to Atlantis. Number two, they might decide that they are a liability and it will prevent him from going to Atlantis. So that would be reasons that Rodney might want to keep it a secret. Why would John want to keep it a secret? Well, John, um, the implication being that because this device activated, depending on what they figure out this device is for, if this is some kind of compatibility um, device or device for mated pairs, since it is creating some kind of physical, mental, empathic bond, um, it might 
out John as gay, um, which during the time period that they were at the um, the outpost, that was very dangerous for him being in the Air Force and um, not being straight or being revealed to be open to a relationship with a man. That's another reason why they might want to keep it a secret. If they keep it a secret, what's happen, what happens when they get to Atlantis? Um, what kind of backlash would there be uh, from Sumner, from Elizabeth? Um, would, would this come out before Sumner is killed? Uh, could John even go on the rescue mission without McKay? Could he leave McKay behind? on Atlantis and go to the planet, um, go to Athos? Could he leave McKay behind and go try to rescue Sumner? What kind of impact would it have on him? Yeah, there's lots of reasons why um, accidental bonding at the outpost is a bad idea. Number one, they don't know each other. Um, I like to write a lot of angst, and I hate to write angst. Um, It's my least favorite thing. I'm more of a writer who likes to write a us-against-the-universe kind of premise versus... um, interpersonal conflict um, between a romantic pairing. I... I'm a team builder, and I like to build a team with, with with my pairings, and I think that's probably pretty obvious for, for anybody who reads me. Um, so I really wouldn't want to drive a huge wedge between them um, the day they meet, and, and that would definitely do it. And if John doesn't want to go to Pegasus, um, being forced to go because of Rodney um, would make him very resentful. Um, So, I'm going to say no to bonding at the outpost. Outpost, I'm going to write a no on that. So, that leaves a device on Atlantis. The device itself, what it does depends on who created it. If just some random ancient created it, or if it was used to create pair bonds between ancients, um, it's going to do exactly what it's supposed to do. But if that asshole Janus made it, there's no telling what it will do. So, if the purpose of the device is, the, the device is to create um, uh, pair bonds, or, you know, telepathic pair bonds between lovers or people who are deeply um, emotionally involved with one another and that's the only way it can work Uh, and it's a part of like the ancient marriage process and they come across it and they don't know what it is and they pick it up John picks it up and it activates and Rodney freaks out that John's got this thing in his hand and it's activated and he snatches it and you know don't touch shit and but when he grabs it, it bonds them. And this could happen, I would want to put it before Duranda, because I'm not right, I never write Duranda. Um, I never would, and if I did, um, I'd probably murder Weir. I, I, 
and John would probably end up uh, not getting laid ever again. I mean, because I I have to pretend that Duranda, that Trinity, did not happen. Um, because it is so grossly inappropriate. I'll go off on a land. I, I have to stop. Okay. <laughs> I'll spend the next two hours bitching about <laughs> Duranda if <coughs> given the opportunity. And let's just not go there. Okay. So, what the device does is dependent on, okay, that depends, that creates um, a situation where someone who is emotive but secretive, which would be Rodney, and someone who, um, once, I had a, I was reading a story once where um, a writer described John um, as wearing a thin layer of Teflon, and everything just kind of slides off of him. Um, and that's kind of how I see Shepard. I, I, it, it's a very good, but once you get in deep, you're you're there, and you and you never really get out one way or another. So, if they're not in a relationship, and this device forces them to face their feelings, there could be some there's, there's some stumbling blocks there because you know they have to come to terms with what's going on, how that's going to work. Um, again. Are they going to tell anybody what what's happened? Um, what is uh, what are the okay? There's going to be weaknesses and strengths to any bond. What's the weakness? What's the strength? So let's put. I'm going to start, okay, let's, um, I'm trying to think about the timeline, and now, I don't want to do it pre-siege, because having John agree to a suicide mission while he's empathically or telepathically bonded to Rodney would make him a real douche, and I don't... Because the last thing, I mean, he doesn't have any idea what kind of impact his death would have on McKay. His So, um, that would just be a really terrible circumstance to put them through. So, let's um, not do that. Um, uh, is duet post-Trinity? Pre, pre-Trinity. Okay. I think I would have... If, if I include the events of Duet, I have to do it afterwards. Otherwise, uh, Cadman's going to get a um, deep look at her CO that she does not need. Um, so, okay. So, um, timeline... In between Duet and Trinity. Now, what takes place um, in between Duet and Trinity? Um, so it's Runner, Duet, Blank, Blank, and then Trinity. Runner, Duet, Condemned, then Trinity. So Condemned... 
I've watched that episode once, and I skipped. I've always skipped it afterwards. It's just that really that episode really bothered me a lot. Um, it was kind of triggery, actually. So, um, if I did it after the events of Trinity, I wouldn't have to write the episode. I mean, I, I wouldn't have to um, deal directly with the content of that episode. And instinct's the one where John goes blue, right? So... Okay, so he goes... Conversion is the blue episode... Where is the Chaya episode? Is that first season? I think Chaya's first season, right? Because I want to skip that too. I don't want to have to deal with that. Okay, I thought I thought that was season one. Okay, so why am I investing so much effort into canon when canon means absolutely nothing to me? Riddle me that. Okay, so I will. I am picking a divergence point. I am I am definitely picking a divergence point. Um so if I pick mm, Okay, so I'm going to my divergent points is going to be duet, which which means that condemned trinity and instinct will not happen. Um, uh, but it gives runner, so Ronan is there, and it gives duet, so Cabman is there. Um, established. And Carson is still alive, yes. I have Carson. So Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I don't like to do um post season um, um, post-series work because I like to forget that whole thing with Keller didn't ha like it, it just it never happened so whenever I do and I have done some post-series um, work um, human nature is not but I think emotional clockwork is emotional clockwork is post-series um, I have short called um when you're gone that's post series uh and i always get rid of keller as quickly as possible i've never killed keller although i read i once read a really awesome story where 
Atlantis and Evan Lauren decided that Jennifer Keller made John sad, so they killed her. Um, they, like, put her in a room and sealed her up. And Evan just walked away, and Keller died. <laughs> it was very good. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> but I've never killed Keller personally. And um, the thing is, is I can I can write circumstances where I actually like Keller as as long as I don't um, put her with Rodney because that that relationship was just really terrible. I don't have the title or the link. <coughs> Is it Forever Lost, Willow? Um, Willow's saying it's called Forever Lost. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's great. It's great. It There's also one where the Marines decide that um, John is unhappy and uh, because he has a boner for Rodney and Rodney is dating either Katie Brown or Jennifer Keller. And basically the Marines on the city invest themselves in destroying McKay's relationship so that their CO can have him. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Anyways. And I don't have the title or link for that one either. Um, it's just that those two things kind of popped into my head when um, someone said in the chat room that I should kill Jennifer Keller. Um, the Marines don't kill Jennifer. Um, but it, it, it might have actually been Katie Brown that he was dating. But regardless, they they felt like uh, mission accomplished. Claire's got that one in the chat room. So the one where Evan kills Keller is called Forever Lost. Um, and the one where the Marines match make for John is called Marines to the Rescue, uh, and it's great too. I highly recommend it. It's by Crimson Clad, and you can find it on AO3 or on her live journal. Very funny stuff. Uh, so I, yeah, I appreciate those, but, um, I always try to make Keller just more terrible than she was in canon. But the thing is, is you don't have to twist her that much to make her fucked up. And really, the most awesome thing um, you can do with a character, with any character, is twist them just a little from their canon circumstances, and you can make them just as evil as you want. And it, it doesn't take much. Um, it doesn't take much to make... Uh, Sam Carter's arrogance um, more twisted than charming. It doesn't take much to make McKay's arrogance more twisted than charming. It's really easy to turn Jennifer's inexperience into ethics violations and um, her inexperience and immaturity into um, just terrible situations. It's really easy to do. It's also really easy to turn John um, just enough so that things that you that you see him do in canon and you think that's fucked up. For instance, when he kills all those Janai by closing the Stargate during the storm. 
Justified, yes. Fucked up, absolutely. When he feeds that dude to Todd in order to save McKay's sister, that's fucked up. <laughs> These are just things that are fucked up. There are moments, and, and you see them like little glimpses in um, Shepard's character throughout the series where you're just thinking, he's a sociopath. Why? And that reminds me of this really interesting story I read once, and I only, I, I think it had multiple parts, but I only read the first one, I'm not really sure, um, it's, um, John and the rest of his team are, are part of Atlantis, are on a mission, and they find this, this room full of him, and they're all clones, and they're all um they're all like sociopath soldiers they're they're assassins and and they and they find out that John is actually one of them that they didn't um make clones of him he's just part of that project and he ended up on earth i think and they were all uh, afraid that John would freak out and he was like oh no this act- this actually makes so much sense i'm i'm kind of relieved i get it He's he's you know like what? <laughs> Anyways, there are some really um, fantastic writers in the Stargate fandom, and it's and it's a real privilege to be among them. Um, there's also a really really good one where someone kidnaps John and clones him and sends the clone back to Atlantis, and the clone dies, and they realize it's a clone, and they go to save. The real John, unfortunately, the the real John is too far gone to save. Um, but they find a clone who can be saved, and um, John and and Rodney makes everybody accept this clone as the real John. And they, I don't know if they ever tell him that he's a clone. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I don't know the name of that one either, and I'm sorry. I hope somebody in the chat room might. <clears throat> I read a lot of Stargate um, fan fiction. It's my it's my, uh, my home fandom, so to speak. So um, a lot of times they, they just blend together, and I have a hard time um, keeping the titles and the authors separate. So, okay, back to my plot. Okay. <clears throat> so... Post duet is my so Atlantis is my location. Post duet is my time. I have a device. I I'm really torn behind um. Uh, because it would be really amusing for them to have picked up a, um, like an ancient marriage device that created. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I actually have one where they accidentally get married, um, but it's more like they do it on purpose because John's stuck in a machine versus they both pick up a device and 
they accidentally get married. But it does remind me of another one where they are bonded, and in order to get unbonded, they have to go to the top of a tower in Atlantis um, to end the bond. But by the time they walk all the way up the tower... Neither one of them want to end the bond, <laughs> so they just go back down and pretend they did it, or just never admit they didn't do it. I don't really remember. It was it was really interesting too. It was it had a lot of mythology around it. Um, what if it's a work aid and they they can't disconnect from it because they're not fully ancient? I like that. That's that's interesting. Like, um, it's like a device that, um, like a brainstorming device. Yeah, yeah. But they get stuck. There's a really interesting story where John and Rodney get telepathically bonded. Um, and it was written before Duet even came out. And I think they, they actually end up in one body. And then when they get separated, it's just like the most agonizing thing that's ever happened to either one of them. Great story. I think they ended up in McKay's body. And John was in some kind of stasis pod. Very good story. It's a mind body or something body or... The people in the chat room are probably thinking about it, but I don't know what it's called. Um, But it was written before Duet came out the episode and um it was John and Rodney and um I remember in the end they were just they were just both just getting by their separation and they kinda ended up sleeping like curled up like little puppies together, just just so broken by the the separation of their two of their two minds and being forced to be in one in, in separate bodies again. Um was really jarring and and painful. It's a very good story. Uh, maybe maybe someone will figure it out in the chat room, and I will tell you guys what it is. Who are listening on the podcast, and you can look it up and read it because it is um, fantastic. It's very good reading. Um, <clears throat> okay, so post duet that does give Rodney some kind of mental trauma that he might not be dealing with to do with. Um, what happened with um, Cadman? And then being forced to share his mind with another person. Well, if they're not ancient enough to disconnect it, <clears throat> but that becomes an issue. Is the bond um, mechanical or is the bond organic? Because if oh oh, I have I have a really good idea actually. Okay. Um, I'm going to change my time. I'm going to put it... Um, it gives them a lot of baggage, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to do it. I'm going to put it post-shrine. Um, 
which eliminates Carson and Cadman and puts Keller on the board. <clears throat> okay. Because then I can bash Keller, which always, always amuses me. Okay, so... No, 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 no. This is going to be a... Okay, so it's post-shrine. <clears throat> I'll say that Rodney kind of becomes obsessed with um, his mental facilities and preserving his mental facilities in the wake of the shrine. And he starts looking at devices um, in the ancient database that would have been used to enhance mental abilities, which brings in to... Um, the uh um that brainstorming device that Jilly proposed earlier. So McKay's kind of obsessed with his brain right now. His brain obsessed. And <clears throat> in the course of his research he finds a device that the ancients used um, for mental enhancement, and he's not going to understand exactly what it does um, and, and until it's too late. And so, he and John, he can't get it to work by himself, and so he thinks that maybe he needs John's um, super genes, so he gets John to activate it. And John's still a little raw on the on that front too because he did come close to losing Rodney um and so he agrees it's you know uh because he doesn't want to ever go through that again either and John turns it on and it links them mentally And they're they're both kind of laid bare, and they come to realize um, that there's a lot going on that neither one of them ever said. And I don't want to do that. I've always been in love with you thing, because that happens a lot in my work. And um, so this is something different. It's not so much... Um, it becomes a... Um, a method of discovery and, and it deepens their friendship in a really um, profound way that neither one of them are prepared for. So there's going to be a lot of emotional adjustment for both of them, but it's not really a problem. And But they can't cut the device off. And because they're not ancient enough to turn it off, for some reason the device won't turn off. And um, they become worried that uh, destroying the device um, might hurt one or both of them. But in the meantime, McKay's in a relationship with Keller. Uh, <clears throat> and she's really not on board with him sharing um, telepathic space with Shepard, uh, who she knows doesn't like her. Because I just don't think John liked her. I I never really did think he did. It was like, um, I don't know if Joe Flanagan didn't like 
didn't like her, didn't like Jill State, or if it was just that John made, that Joe made a decision um, that John wasn't going to like Keller. Um, well, when it comes now, this is post shrine, so Weir wouldn't be there at all. The leader of the expedition um, during shrine and thereafter is Woolsey. And Woolsey isn't the type that he wouldn't want to risk either one of them by um, experimenting on the device. Woolsey's an entirely different animal. He's not the soldier that Carter was. He's not the politician that um, Weir was. Woolsey is um, very much a creature of habit and comfort and... But he has a strong moral code. So the question becomes... Okay, because of the device's... purpose, it would be a telepathic bond... And it would involve very little, um, very little privacy. Now, speaking from a woman's point of view, if my boyfriend was suddenly okay, the one where John and Rodney share a body is called double occupancy by ISIS. Um, Sorka found it. Thank you very much. Uh, you shouldn't have a problem finding it. I read it on Live Journal, but hopefully it's on AO3 as well. I don't know. Um, and Jilly is offering one called High and Tight by the Cookie Mama, and it's about in, 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 it's an NCIS fic um, where um, there's an accidental bonding. Um, okay, double occupancy is on Wraith Bait and on AO3, and probably on Live Journal because I'm pretty sure I read it on Live Journal originally, or she might have moved it. Either way, I highly recommend it. It's an excellent fic. Um, um, it's just it's really a stunning piece of work. Okay. Anyways, <clears throat> so what I was saying was, is if I was in a situation where um, my boyfriend had a had a very strong telepathic connection with another person, no matter who that person is, I would be very uncomfortable. Um, with it. I mean, just because, like, that kind of, like, bond would negate their privacy. There's no privacy there to be had. I mean, can you imagine having sex with somebody who has a telepathic bond with somebody else? Just just think about that for a second. Everything that goes through Rodney's head is going to be in John's. While they're having sex. <laughs> Awkward is the least of it. That's just like the... It's just... It, so Keller has every right to be very deeply uncomfortable with this with this situation. Let's put it that way. Um, uh, 
<laughs> so John would know how boring McKay finds her. I think so, because she, I don't know how she could be anything but boring unless she's naked. Because no matter how boring Jennifer Keller is, Jewel State's beautiful. <laughs> so at least at least there's that. <laughs> okay. So from the from the from the get go, um Keller's gonna be you know, determined that this connection has to be destroyed. It has to be um, eradicated because it just accepting it as a new status quo is is not in her wheelhouse. She's just not going to be able to do that. (coughs) Unprofessional twat waffle. As she always is. Well, not always, because I have written her in other stories where she's not um, an unprofessional twat waffle, but um, I, I do enjoy um, writing her as an unprofessional twat waffle. I'm not sure what that says about me, but whatever it is, I'm okay with it. Speaking of things that I'm kind of ashamed of, I have binge-watched most of the first season of Elementary, I know. I know. I don't eat. It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu and it's commercial free. And I am enjoying it against my will. I don't know why I clicked on it. But I did. And it was PMS Fugue or something. And I, um, I'm on episode. And I started watching yesterday for the record, and I am on, hmm, I am on episode 15, (laughs) and I started watching yesterday, (laughs) I am a giant gun filled with drugs, that's the current episode that I paused so that I could do the radio show. Um, but I am binge watching elementary and, um, like I said, I'm, I'm 14 episodes in and and, and it's not going to, um, I do like Johnny Lee Miller as, as as Sherlock and I wasn't sure I I would like it, but I do like it. Um, um, I like it a lot. So, uh, yeah, but I'm also kind of ashamed that one time that Paris Hilton put out a, 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 I know, put out an album and I didn't know she put out an album and there was this cute little song on the radio that I just thought was the cutest thing I'd ever heard. It was just this cute little song and this little pop song and I thought I figured it was probably Britney Spears. It wasn't. It was Paris Hilton. I don't like Lucy Liu. That that's a real problem. I, I don't like her, but yet. Her presence does not detract from elementary, and it's confounding. I just, it's it's deeply confounding, but I'm okay. I'll get better. Anyway, <clears throat> what was I doing? I was de- com- confessing my um, my, the, the fact that I kind of enjoy writing Keller as a Chihuahua waffle. 
So. Oh, I also once liked a, a Justin Bieber song. If I'm going to be confessing shit that is deeply embarrassing, I did once like a Justin Bieber song. No, like the first one, like the baby one. I just thought it was just a cute thing. I had no idea it was Justin Bieber. I didn't even know who Justin Bieber was. <sighs> I'm deeply ashamed. <laughs> yeah, what's a Bieber? A Bieber is apparently a Canadian. Who knew? Okay. <clears throat> um. So, they accidentally get bonded with a brainstorming device, and it's a telepathic bond. And while everybody assumes the bond is mechanical, that it's connected to the machine, that the machine itself is connecting them together. Um, <laughs> I think he was born Canadian, and then he came here and... I think that um because the angels did have a host of of um uh mental abilities that it just woke something up in both of them because um John has a really strong ATA gene and Rodney basically had a latent one that got turned on by the gene therapy. That's the only reason the gene therapy worked on him is because certain people are just um able to use the gene therapy where others are not. Um, so the connection is not mechanical, but everybody assumes it is. I think that's important because I would like my climax to be Keller trying to destroy the, or actually destroying the machine um, in a fit uh, to end the connection, um, even though she thinks it might hurt one or both of them. Or, oh... Oh, oh, I think that um, the research shows that, or she's led to believe that since John turned it on, that it will hurt John. And she doesn't care. And that could be what the research is telling them, that because John activated it, that if they try to, um, end <laughs> to end the connection, that it, will, uh, that it will hurt the initiator, which is John. And so Rodney takes that completely off the table, and Keller doesn't care, and she destroys the device. But it doesn't end their telepathic connection. In fact, it makes it impossible to ever end it. The destruction of the device makes the link permanent. So,
I kind of got some mechanics of why um, the device worked for John when I'm writing. I do like the poetic justice. I, I really enjoy poetic justice, and I do think that um, having her be the reason the telepathic bond will never end um, is is really a you know awesome. Well, John has a stronger ATA gene, so there's every reason to believe that John um, might be demonstrating a um, a deeper connection to the device than than McKay. Um, just like far as like um, scans go, um, testing goes, that the device. Um, is tethered to John because John activated it. <clears throat> because if I go on that whole groupthink or brainstorming um, principle that this device was used for, and it's really interesting because I do that in Atlantean Legacy, they have um, uh, mental sharing where they share, um, they have huge um events mentally where they share um, ideas and um, reports and um, when Teldy returns to Atlantis um, in um, the per I just posted whatever that was whatever I called that <laughs> it just totally fell out of my brain isn't that terrible I just posted that episode um it is totally gone. But at book two of Lantean Legacy, there's a scene where Teldy comes back to Atlantis and she gives her entire mission um, debrief with John mentally. So it could be something like that in the silence. Thank you very much. Um, but, but you know, really that, that whole head touch thing is um, more of a... Um, Taylor's influence over the expedition than an actual necessity. Um, it is an indication that they are sharing mental space, and so um, no one needs to um, interfere um, with what's going on between them while they're doing this, that, um, that, that they're both in a space where they're concentrating on each other and there, there needs to be, you know, some respect of that. Uh, but the whole touching foreheads thing isn't actually required. <laughs> but later on it's discussed that Rodney shares headspace with members of his science department um, in mass at times and not just one person. Um, so it isn't so a matter of, um, that's just more of a of a um, a gesture. It's, it's more of a gesture. Uh <clears throat> I think that in order for the device to connect people, that they have to be touching it, and only John and Rodney were touching it. Um, it just, um, it, well, I don't want to have to deal with there being a whole bunch of people exposed to it 
or whatever. So Keller's willingness to either cause John an immense amount of pain or even brain damage makes McKay break up with her. But I think that even if McKay didn't break up with her, that Woolsey would butt off the city because Woolsey is... um, Very by the book, and he would consider he would consider her um her, her breach of ethics unacceptable, but is it behavior that she would do, and the answer to that course is uh, yes, it is because this is the same woman that used a dewalt for brain surgery, so of course this is the same of course she would fucking destroy this device because she was like. I could have some mild hate there. Okay, there's nothing mild about it. And she doesn't care what happens to John. I don't know if it will be slash or not. Like pre-slash maybe. Like I don't want to have it jump into an immediate relationship because that's not really what it's about. It's about them adjusting to sharing... Um, Well, the thing is, is McKay and Cannon put up with her forever, basically. I mean, I like to think that McKay was pussy blind. It's a good thing my show's rated R. No, you know, because the thing is, is um, this kind of em- this kind of invasion of them both, and John is very, um, John's a very private person. He's very contained. He's he's very um, very much boxed in emotionally. I think having him having his whole mental, because John doesn't talk a lot, so John's got a lot of head privacy. Lots of things happen in his head that never come out of his mouth. Well, Rodney, you know, practically, you, you want to believe that practically everything that Rodney thinks comes out of his mouth, that probably isn't true either. But just imagine someone like John, who is so boxed in, um, being forced to share mental space with someone who's so expansive um, mentally and verbally. Uh, I don't. And then there's that whole thing with Keller. I just don't think, um, I don't know that a romance really works here. I mean, I, first, you know, it's always my inclination to write that. But um, I think that in this particular idea, because there's so much, um, it's kind of like human nature. Um, when I got finished with human nature, um, I actually had a sex scene plotted for the last for the last section of human nature but when it came time to write it it just didn't fit it just didn't work because that fic really put John through the ringer as as far as um, his sexuality was concerned and um, throwing um, sex at the end of it just seemed 
I don't know, cheap. It seemed very cheap, and so I didn't write it. But when, also, when I was um, writing Courting Hermione recently, I had a sex scene on their honeymoon that I removed because I felt like I was invading their privacy. <laughs> Which I know sounds weird to a non-writer, but sometimes when you're deep in a story, there's just, sometimes you have to close the door and and give your character privacy. And there are moments when, um, when I'm writing, I think, oh no, no, um, no one needs to see that. That's not so. And it's like always, you're you're never going to see me write a character on the toilet because, again, there are just some things that, you don't need to see. <laughs> and one of my characters taking a shit would be one of them. I'm just not on board with that. I'm just really not on board with that. So lots of times, um, if something happens off screen, it's it it becomes a matter of um, character privacy. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't need to see that. You know what's happening. You don't need to see it. And when I came time, when it when it came time to write, um the sex scene for Courting Hermione, which I did have in the plot. Um, I only had one sex scene in the plot, by the way. Because um, even when I was plotting it, uh, it, it seemed like that was just... I was iffy on it, even when I was plotting that part. But when it came time to write it, I did write it. But, you know, honestly, I think that um, sex um, scenes are one of my strongest um, areas. I'm very comfortable writing sex. I... Um, it's for me. It's never awkward to write. It flows really easily. But that had to be the most awkward sex scene I've ever written, both to do and to read. I was like, this looks like two robots. It was like robot sex, and I was like, this is no. This is. I just I just pulled it out, and then once I did, it it read so much better. It was just like, okay, okay, yeah, I just had no business writing that to begin with, and and that's why that's what that is. And so um, not writing them in a romantic relationship in this particular idea um, makes sense. Uh, I'd like to leave, like, potential at the end for it to to be there, but um, not in your face as far as the story goes. It's just... um, it doesn't fit. And when you're writing um, and, and you have to make uh, uh, decisions like that, you, you have to um, work your way through character motivations and um, determine what the reader needs and what the reader doesn't need. And that doesn't always, like, sometimes I um, I skip scenes and uh, I don't, describe something in particular that it's glossed over or it's talked about after it happens and I've had readers come into the comments and say oh I wish I could have seen this and I'm like really you wanted to see that (laughs) that would have been so boring are you sure is is, is that really what you wanted to see (laughs) and I'm just kind of stunned what's also really interesting is not one person who's read um courting Hermione and commented on my site um mentioned uh, the desire for a sex scene. So I feel like um, because no one has asked for it, that uh, that it, um, that no one missed it. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you know, people are afraid to tell me that, that they missed the sex scene. Um, 
And it just didn't have a place in according Hermione. So that sometimes happens in ideas. Okay, so that's one idea for accidental bonding between John and Rodney. I don't know how I feel about it. Let's see. Let me reset and try again. I'm going to put um, Jilly on the air with me so she can bounce ideas. Um, she's the designated bouncer this evening. As in like Tigger bouncing, not like in a bar bouncer. You know, she's going to be Tigger. <laughs> the wonderful thing about Tiggers. <laughs> I was I was flexing my muscles until you said like Tigger, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I literally like wilted in my chair. I was like, oh, I don't get to rough anybody up. Damn. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Well, there's a reason why we have a designated hit minion. That's <laughs> true. She's rubbing off on me. <laughs> See, that sounded pervy. <laughs> Doesn't it always? Mm. Now, see, the other side of it is, is that it could be like... um uh, not a telepathic bond or an empathic bond, but like a mating bond. Mating bond. Mating yeah, bonds like, are fun. That's, yeah. that's a whole different... <laughs> that's a whole other animal right there. <laughs> and I was thinking, um, if you have like touch bond, where mm-hmm. like you get something really, really nice from it, like... Like all of the neurotransmitters, all the serotonin levels go up, the dopamine levels go up, everything goes wackadoodle just when they have a glancing touch, and it's like, ooh, <laughs> okay. Can't... There has to be um, a profound um, consequence for that too. I read one where mm-hmm. um, John and Rodney got some kind of. Um, They bonded for some reason, and I don't know what it was, but it was like Roddy needed access to something, or, and I thought it was just a ritual and it didn't mean anything, but kind of find out it did, and it was like, um, eventually, they couldn't stand to not be touching each other. I mean, like, it was like gradual, it was like a gradual um, spiral around them, and they kept getting closer and closer and closer, and by the end of it, they literally could not be apart. And what the bond was trying to make them do was have sex. And if they had sex, it would have evened out and everything would have been fine. But since they weren't fucking... I think that was mine. Was that yours? Yeah, I, I think that was option no, C. I, it was I, my first... I read this years ago. Huh? I, I read this years ago. Yeah, it was my. It was when you did the, um, uh, no, the like two... Ten- Ago. Spring training. Oh no. Well, okay. Well, maybe that, not definitely with Alex. You just my first spring training. You would pick two phantoms. It was my first Stargate story, mm-hmm. and they had Rodney had wandered into a temple he wasn't supposed to be in, and I never actually explained why they had to get bonded. But the bonding bonded their life energies together, and they thought they were just getting married. I and did like, read okay, that ritual marriage, and then they kept trying to stay apart. And the more they were apart, the more it drove them together. The bond drove them together, and they go back to the planet. They say. Why are we getting better? And they're like, well, have you had intimate Congress yet? <laughs> and they're like, pardon? I got it on. <laughs> <laughs> do we, we have to do what? <laughs> I did read yours. There is another one where it actually is killing them. Oh, no, I didn't go that far. It was um, it was causing um, 
some kind of like it was causing like serious health problems in their body and I forget what it um and they had to they had to consummate in in order to um to, to survive. It was a fuck or die kind of thing. And um but I read yours too. I, I see I, I copied read- somebody and I didn't even know it because I had not read that. <laughs> But no, it's different. But the thing is, like I told somebody before, is like there are only like seven ideas and eight ways to tell them. <laughs> but no, you know, so um, a mating bond would actually be really fun. Um, but the other side of it is, is there's always that one person that would come along and tell me I need to put a, a dubious consent warning on it. Somebody did tell me that on mine because they eventually had to have sex. And I was like, you know, actually they don't eventually have, they didn't eventually have to have sex. They could choose to just stay very close together or (laughs) they got more autonomy by having sex. (laughs) So they didn't have to do it. (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't strictly necessary, but their avoidance of having sex got to be um, half my entertainment in the story. (laughs) Sometimes it's really fun to torture your character a little bit. So, yeah. But one way around. <clears throat> oh, you know what? Actually, I could do it. This is that's pretty funny, actually. So, what if post Trinity, John wasn't mad at Rodney? Um, because he was just as deep in it as McKay was, and he recognized that, and he didn't get pissed off at McKay, but Elizabeth did. And she decided to get rid of McKay and send him back to Earth. And so, <laughs> say, for instance, they found this device in their first year out there, and it was cataloged as some kind of mating device or um, bonding device. What, um, if they mistra- what if they translate it wrong and it's a sex aid? <laughs> well, no, what I was thinking was, is that um, the one I'm talking about, the one I read that where they where they almost die, um, I adore Spike is saying it might be advantaged by resonant, and it may and it may very well be, um, but what if in order to keep McKay on the city, because John is losing this argument with Elizabeth. He suggests to McKay that they use this bonding device. And that means if they get rid of McKay, they have to send him home to Earth, too. And he's the strongest gene carrier they got. The SGC isn't going to be willing to do that. Well, they have to think that there's a way out of that. Right? It greatly depends on um, whether or not Rodney already knows John's got a boner for him. Well, true. Because if they're already kind of working their way towards a romantic relationship, that would explain why John didn't become an, a super asshole after Trinity. So it could be kind of like a situation of like, uh, you know, you're from different countries and and you're looking for sort of like uh, marriage in order to get your green card. Except they're using this device to keep McKay on Atlantis. And, yeah, so, like, there could be, like, this whole thing where Elizabeth says, okay, fine. And she has the SGC to send Carter out so that Carter can fix it so that they can undo the bond. 
But it would be really funny if Carter got out there and she totally shipped. <laughs> and she totally shipped it and was like, oh, no, it's broken. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and she'd probably have a different perspective than Elizabeth on what happened. Right, because 99% of science is failure. And she has not without her share of failures. Hello. <laughs> she almost destroyed a planet with people on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you take a crack at it. Me? Oh, yeah. Mm. That's part of the bouncing. Oh, the bouncing. Um, so we, I, I think, I think just empath, just straight empathic bond. We haven't explored that yet. They just get emotions with no context, and there's no touching or nearness required. And I think you could almost make it into a little bit of a, a little bit of a comedy. Because if they're emotional, it, both of them, I think, emote differently than they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, um, if Rodney panics um, over something really benign, and John thinks he's about to die, and runs in, and um, it's because he couldn't solve a math problem, or because he's having to have some interpersonal conflict, and it freaks him out more than death, or... Um, <laughs> He has to deliver performance reviews, and he's completely bugged out about it. <laughs> and so John keeps thinking in the course of Rodney. So he's out in the field. They're out in the field, and everything's fine. Rodney has spikes of anxiety or whatnot. But during the course of Rodney's work day, Rodney keeps having these massive emotional meltdowns, and John keeps thinking that he's about to die at any moment, and it turns out it's just dealing with He other had people. no idea that academics was such a minefield. <laughs> I got this like this full blown scene that popped into my head where um they're in a meeting and um it's got Keller in it and at the end everybody leaves but John and Rodney and Rodney turns to John and goes, Oh my god, you hate everyone <laughs> <laughs> You hate all those people <laughs> You hate them <laughs> like the only person who makes you happy is me. That's really flattering, actually, because Rodney's egotistical enough to go right there. You hate everybody. Oh, but me. But me. <laughs> you love me. Wow. We need to go have sex. <laughs> <laughs> we need to go shag like immediately. I've been, I've been watching. I've been reading, writing too much Harry Potter because shag just came out of my mouth. <laughs> Well, when the shites happen and you start saying bloody this and bloody that, yeah, you just definitely... Uh, I did say bloody fuck earlier. <laughs> <sighs> so you've got... So we kind of touched on... I don't know. See, I think empathic bonding is the least, in its way, the least intrusive. Because you don't know... Um, Emotions, I mean, it, it, it brings up the idea that emotions have no basis in fact for the most part. And what does that look like when you're discovering that about somebody else? It's like, wow, this situation is really benign. Why are you so pissed? Or this situation is really horrible. Why is it that you feel like you want to take a nap? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> Why emotions, so emotions often don't have any die. context in reality. <laughs> so it creates an interesting juxtaposition to kind of explore the idea that 
people don't present what they're feeling a lot of times, and some people present everything that they're feeling. Um, but it, it's also, I think, less in, in, in its way, it's less intrusive because you could say, well, why are you feeling that way? Oh, well, I was thinking about this thing when I was four. And you could completely lie, although the person would probably feel that you were lying. But there's not the actual thoughts, and there's something very intimate about being physically bonded. Um, I agree. Um can create a lot of fun times. <laughs> it creates a lot of fun times, but it's also, if you're not used to having... Um, that actually could be an interesting thing to explore as somebody who's not used to a lot of touch, having a physical bond where they need frequent contact. Hmm. John's kind of standoffish in the first yeah. season. You, you, you see him not. He has this like this no trespassing, um, barrier around him, and it, and it gets. Um, you see him touching um, McKay a lot as it as it progresses. He starts mm-hmm. to connect with his team, um, which explains why he took Ford's. Um, disappearance are really hard. He had connected um, with these people and kind of made a family. Um, and also why he was so quick to replace Ford. He stuck someone right in there in that spot because there, there was an empty spot and he needed somebody in that spot. Well, I think he also... Um, I think there's stuff of something about Roger Bronin that John really identified with. I like Matchmaking Atlantis. That always amuses me. Tarlin has a really great series with Matchmaking Atlantis. Um, where the only reason that Rodney gets to stay on the city is because he has ancient DNA in him. <laughs> and it's not because it's his DNA. <laughs> it's just in him. <laughs> And someone actually brings it up. It's really terrible. I, I think it's Kavanaugh. When they're on Earth, the people the people who got kicked out, and they realized that only the ancients, the people with ATA genes, got to stay. And they were all like, McKay doesn't have the gene. And then Kavanaugh mouths off, well, you probably had an ass full of DNA. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. Tarlin wrote it. I highly recommend it. Um... It's, uh, oh, God, someone in the chat is going to tell us what it's called. <laughs> but it's a whole series where Atlantis um, only wants gene carriers on the city, and she's, like, super serious about it. Um, and uh, Willow has provided a link. I now have, like, you know, 50 story links open. Okay, exaggeration. It's called but... Sentient, and it's by Tarlin. Um, very much a fun story. I really enjoy it. But, uh... That was just a really fucking funny moment um, in um, the um, series when they were trying to speculate why McKay got to stay. <laughs> and Kevin also, it was because he had an ass full of DNA. <clears throat> what if in one of these um, bonding things, I just had the weirdest idea. What if when you're connected somehow to this device, based upon electrical impulses or whatever, the city, this I don't know why I'm going to the humor thing today, but the city is able to catalog 
I'm thinking specifically emotions, what you felt at any given time and send your report at the end of the day. <laughs> so like Atlantis's report on how your day went <laughs> and suggestions for avoiding things that aren't good for your productivity. Were you aware that you hate so-and-so's guts? It really lowers your productivity when he's in your lab, Rodney. <laughs> we suggest that you no longer work with um, Kavanaugh because... <laughs> We find your anxiety levels increase dramatically every time he's around. <laughs> so, but yeah, that'd be really funny, actually. I I really enjoy writing um, snarky Atlantis, like 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 all her give a fucks are broken, and she <laughs> she's been out there a long time. She had a long time for those fucks to get broken. <laughs> like some of the pieces are missing, broken, and she's just like. No. <laughs> I'm not putting up with your shit. Which is why I really enjoyed Carlin's series a lot. It's just like, she's no fuck it. And she opens the gate. It kicks them back out. <laughs> what if you explored... Um, I'm going to admit to watching a terrible movie. Um, repeatedly, <laughs> actually. Um, Demolition Man. Um, do you remember in that how physical touch became discouraged? Mm-hmm. And how they had the um, like the sort of like the virtual reality VR sex, yes. VR sex, and but they were actually physically connected in some degree, not physically, mentally connected in their little. And they were having pleasure, yeah. There was like physical yes, pleasure, their pleasuring moments. What if the ancients, um, in their quest for ascension, uh, felt started trying to shake off physical pleasures, for the most part, and so the touching became kind of taboo. And so they created all these different ways of people having um, various things that they would not need to do that didn't that would involve to, would not involve too much touching. So sex was handled through a device. Um, oh God, that reminds me of the um, of the Cindy Atlantis Atlantis story where John keeps fantasizing about fucking McKay, and whatever he fantasizes about doing to McKay, the city does to McKay. Oh my! I have not read that I'm one. I'm talking wall tentacle. Wall tentacles. Yes, wall tentacles penetration. It's um surprisingly hot, and McKay is practically immediately on board with it. He doesn't know why the city finds him sexy, but he's getting <laughs> off. <laughs> And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then he finds out that it's actually John. And the city is like um, responding to John's lust. There's more than one tentacle, yeah. There's tentacles. There's more than one tentacle. But it starts out as one. Just kind of playing with his nipples and stuff. And then it gets really... <laughs> Well, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta touch more than one spot. You know, you need more than. <laughs> the more elaborate John's fantasies get, the better McKay's sex life becomes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and how do you ask that question in the morning? Is anybody else having these things with tentacles at night? What? <laughs> I mean, how do you address that with your coworkers? <laughs> it 
is anyone else getting masturbated by? Is anybody doing any of you? Because you really had you have that conversation with your coworkers. <laughs> oh God. I just got the best idea. You know, I had that story called Touching Secrets where everybody puts their secrets on the wall. What if there was, like, a anonymous bulletin board people could post their problems to? Like, shit that happens to them on the city that they can't explain. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like, last night, a tentacle came out of the wall. <laughs> I ask, what do I do now? I just got really, really tickled. Sorry. Um. <laughs> Everybody would be congregating around the board going, wow, I thought my day had gone badly, but, you know, the city didn't try to fuck me last night, or either or. Hey, the city didn't try to fuck me last night. My shower's not that damn irritating. <laughs> <laughs> I want a new room. <laughs> My mind's oh, broken. <laughs> what if the response is Rodney gets a truckload of requests from people just stating their room is broken? <laughs> my room doesn't do this. There's something wrong with my room. <laughs> the science department becomes overwhelmed with repair requests because nobody else's room is getting them off. My wall tentacle's broken. <laughs> Oh, oh shit! Sorry, <laughs> my eyes are watering. <sighs> <clears throat> Sorry, that was just really funny. Just imagine! Oh god, it would be so great. And the best part would be is like eventually this report, um, these reports will end up at the SGC. <laughs> Can you just imagine? I'm <laughs> reading them. He's just like, what the hell? What the hell goes on in Lance? And they escalate them all the way up to Jack. And he gets all <laughs> these reports because they don't know what to do with them. We don't know what to do with all these reports. People's bedrooms are fucked He's thinking, no wonder the rays are still a problem. <laughs> <laughs> these assholes are complaining about their shower, not jacking them off. <laughs> you I've had nothing to drink this evening but milk <laughs> you've had a lot of chocolate though I did have a lot of chocolate and the thing is you know because I am um, we've talked about my suggestibility <laughs> before my sister got us chocolate cake yesterday that I didn't eat so you start waxing poetic about the chocolate cake at the beginning of the show and I was like oh I'm just gonna take a strip to the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we've both had a lot of chocolate and that apparently nets out to my shower fucked me. <laughs> <laughs> Alternatively, my shower is not fucking me, and I don't understand why. Why won't my shower do me? Can't <laughs> 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 just be like, look, it's not my fault. The city doesn't fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> look, Kavanaugh. We can't make it, Landis. Want to fuck you? 
has to be consensual. <laughs> the city doesn't want you. You just have to deal with it. Can't be the first time you've been rejected. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. God, I got a little hot actually laughing at that. So extension of that idea of the city doing things that thinks people want is what if everybody who's got the ATA gene is mentally connected to the city, they just don't know it. And as time goes on, the city is capable of making what they need. And let's say they get more power all of a sudden and the city turns on its production plants and the first thing it spits out is sex toys. <laughs> it's like a big giant list of sex toys and it just keeps popping out. Okay, sex like, toys okay. and blue. <laughs> Which one of you assholes wanted the purple dildo? <laughs> What's with all the lube and the dildos? I don't understand what's why does the city think this is what we need? Apparently, everybody wants to get laid. <laughs> Actually, there'd be a whole lot of funny you could do with that, with what, after months of deprivation, the city finally has power and it starts making what everybody thinks that they need. There'd probably be an unfortunate amount of Cheetos. <laughs> Fruit Loops, Pop Tart, mm-hmm. and two metric fuck tons of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it out there? I can just see Rodney's frustration. Why does the city think this is what we need? We hooked in our supply inventory. They'd be not Cheetos, then. <laughs> Definitely not Cheetos. <laughs> It'd be close if she could get without a chemical formula. She'd be like, can you just imagine? She'd be like, John, John. And Shepard wakes up and he's like, what? John, I need to dial um, Earth. I don't have the security protocols to do it, and I need to do some um, research. And what she can research in 38 minutes. Atlantis, what do you want to research? Well, I need a chemical formula for silicone. And Cheetos. <laughs> What's a Cheeto? <laughs> what is a Cheeto? John, I need you to dollar. <laughs> oh, but wouldn't it be great, like, if they put a ZPM in, and, like, they all go, yay, we're safe, they got their shield. Like, the next day, Shepard gets woke up by Atlantis because she needs shit. That could be the title of the story. John, I need you to dial Earth, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I need to have a discussion. I need the Internet, John. <laughs> I need to Google some stuff. I, John, I need to download the Die Hard trilogy. <laughs> I need to keep my citizens happy. John, I'm going to build a satellite, and I'd like you to plant it here. And then I have another one that you're going to put here. And he'll, like, they can shoot, like, and do, like, a whole 
fucking series of satellites, and they do that, and they think she needs them for something important. And then when they get finished, <laughs> they realize they haven't asked her why she needs them. And she, well, Mika likes to watch them, and they're restless. <laughs> they launch like twenty satellites between here and Pegasus, and it's just so Miko can watch Young and the Restless. And with that many Marines, you know she's getting that people want to stream porn. <laughs> John. I can't do that. What was his name, Dave? I can't do that, Dave. John, why are they calling me Serenity? <laughs> you know there's going to be someone on that city that's going to call that call Atlanta Serenity. <laughs> no, you know there's some perverted scientist on there who watched Andromeda who's going to turn to Atlanta one day. You know, um, I used to watch the show called Andromeda. They had this ship made real thing where the 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 ship made herself a body, a hot one. Can you do that? <laughs> John, I need the movie Weird Science. <laughs> it gets to the point where John dreads waking up. John. <laughs> he calls a meeting. Would you fuckers stop asking the city for shit we literally do not need? I'm taking all of your gene back. You can't have it. <laughs> Fuck's sake, how many purple dildos could you possibly need? <laughs> I do really like the idea of the city having a mental connection to everybody with the gene. <laughs> it does remind me of um, Farpoint Station, um, which is the first episode of Next Generation of Star Trek, um, yeah. where it's on a really awesome starbase. And the people running it are acting like they built it, but it's actually an alien um, who just gives everybody what they want. It's a very nice alien. Very nice alien. If they wanted an apple, it gave them an apple. But it was basically like a baby, wasn't it? It was a baby. And then uh, Mama came to get it. Was either the baby or the mate? I don't remember which. Man, that was a long time ago. I feel like it was a baby because it was really immature and they were able to control it. Yeah, that could be. <clears throat> but yeah, it, it does remind me of that because um, I remember watching that and thinking, well, you know, first and foremost, I need to point out to you that when I was. Um, um, when Next Generation first came out, I was vehemently opposed <laughs> to more Star Trek because I thought, no, we don't need that. We already have the original. We have the movies. We don't need that shit. <laughs> I was <laughs> no. And I, oh, look at Patrick Stewart and all his ball glory. <laughs> look at the city could. Um, they send a resupply, prepare a resupply request for uh, the SGC. And Atlantis knows it's not what people actually want and overwrites it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just imagine? 
FCC call Jack calling. Elizabeth, um, can we talk about the 200 dildos you have? <laughs> and the 150 gallons of lube? What are you people doing out there? Do you really have time for this kind of activity? You said you needed more Marines. Is this what they're for? <laughs> I'm not sending you sex slaves. Wait, I got a couple of volunteers. I'm sending you two sex slaves. <laughs> You're gonna have to That's catch the rest you yourself. <laughs> no, Daniel, you can't go. <laughs> Jack probably would fill the lube orders. I'm just not certain he'd fill 150 gallons of. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But you know, lubrication actually has other uses. It's in medical kits and stuff, so it's not just for um Yes, but all the things that lube is used for in medical context is just not a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm just saying they can have legitimate reason to need at least one of those 55-gallon drums. Of <laughs> how many how many prostate exams are you doing, Carson? What the hell? It would be like, look, Atlantis is old. Some of the parts need lubrication. You would not believe what this crystal technology looks like. You just don't understand. <laughs> so they're all three. <laughs> <laughs> something also very symbolic about setting somebody an olive tree <laughs> John I need you to dollar that's going to be in my head the rest of my life yeah mine too and setting your tone of voice too um, now you now have the voice of Atlantis you now are the voice of Atlantis <laughs> What? I just had a really evil idea, a spinoff of your original idea. Okay. What if it was Keller and Rodney who got mentally bonded, and she couldn't stand it, and shifted it intentionally onto John? Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. If NASA did invent Astroglot, I'm sure they had a very good reason. (laughs) And not just getting in and out of their suits, as they said. Or, yeah, it it could be that they both get a good look at who they were dating. No. The inventor of Astroglide, Daniel Ray, formulated it while working on the cooling system of a space shell at Edwards Air Force Base in 1977. Ray said he was trying to remove the oil from uh, anhydrous ammonia and ended up with this substance. Sure, that's how that happened. Yeah. (laughs) We'll go with that. We'll believe you. Let's call it Astroglide. Um, if you would like to propose, if you would like to drift, um, you can either fill out the comment form on my site, which currently sucks because it's all blued together, or you can send me um, 
Um, there's a there's actually a topic on rough trade um, for this. Um, but I don't know where it is. That's not what I need. Although, really, the best thing to do is to spell it in buttercream, take a picture, send it to Kira. <laughs> I do like buttercream. That's no Pipe lie. it. Pipe it. Make sure you film your technique. Okay. Um, it's under the very last cat tab on Rough Trade, and it's called... I know you can. Under the library, oh, and it's called it's Bitch called, Plotting. Right, and then you can comment on there, and if you would, um, it's talking about your plot process, and if you'd like to participate in bitch, um, uh, the plot drift, um, I'll add you to the list of people who are interested in doing it. Um, if you do uh, respond to this thread. Please list me the fandoms where you're comfortable, because I would hate to ask you to drift on a fandom that you um, literally have no idea of. Um. Yeah, she might. You know, you, you, you could be like, you know, you know, like 22, and she says, "Okay, Night Rider." <laughs> <laughs> You'll be like, "What's the Night Rider?" What? Huh? Huh? You mean? You mean the? You mean the the Dark Knight, right? <laughs> no, darling, that's not what I mean at all. Um, who you can was do it, it on the you can on the phone or Skype. Um, yeah, there is a Skype. You would need to have um either a microphone or be able to call in. Um, the phone number is not a one eight hundred number. I don't think. Um, it's an it's an eight six six. Uh, it's just, no, it's not. It's a six four six number. I guess I never think about it because I um. Don't pay for long distance. So, um, but I do have this co-host thing I can do where I can send you a Skype um, link for you to use so that you can do it for free. Um, so you won't actually be dialing a number on Skype. You can do Skype to Skype call. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, so and obviously time zones come into play in that as well. Um, <clears throat> So there's that. Um, <clears throat> I want you to know that I wrote down at the top of this page, John, I need you to dial Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and she always decides in the middle of the night <laughs> what she's going to need the next day. Maybe that's when she gets her inputs, her daily inputs from everybody that she's connected with, mm-hmm. that she assesses them all and then says, John, <laughs> I need you to dial Earth. But it would be really great if one day she's like, John, I need you to dial P3 <laughs> some planet. And he'll be like, what the hell's on? And Roddy would be like, no, don't dial that planet. It's the hell planet. <laughs> Whatever the fuck she needs from Sokar, she does not need. <laughs> well, for Sokar's dead. She thinks she needs, but she doesn't need. She doesn't need anything from the hellfire and brimstone planet. <laughs> she really doesn't. No, Why is she sending us back to the dinosaur the planet? <laughs> no, you can't. You, you can't talk to the Togra. No, you can't talk to the Tolan. They're assholes. <laughs> you can dial the Knox if you want, but they're not going to talk to you. What do you mean they talk to her? I don't get it. <laughs> Why do they talk to her? I, 
Who was it that wrote that really great story where the Knox helped fix Atlantis? Oh, that was original Tempest. I believe. Was that original Tempest or was that um, Grey Wolf, Wanderer? It was one of the dudes on RT wrote this story where... Um, uh, it was definitely one of the dudes. Um, wrote a story where um, the Knox helped fix Atlantis. I'm going to OT. There's nothing on OT's site. Um, it doesn't mean it's not somewhere else. So this saying Grey Wolf. It, it probably is Grey Wolf because I think OT tends to write only in Harry Potter. Um, now Claire's saying OT. One of the dudes on RT, and there aren't that many, <laughs> wrote this story where the Knox helped um, fix Atlantis' star drive. And Willow sang original Tempest as well. So um, I think I guessed right the first time. Um, but anyway, it was really interesting. So it would be kind of fun if she died. Because the Knox were part of the um, the Asgard, the, the Ancients, the Knox. So the Knox are, should be aware of Atlantis already. Maybe um, back in the days of technology sharing, the shielding that the uh, um, ancients developed was based on stuff that's... Extinction. And it is original Tempest, and it is on his WordPress. Well, now why couldn't I find that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can find it in the previous challenge page um, on RT as well. And it's called um, Extinction, the Return, and it's by original Tempest. And the Knox are in it, and they help um, rebuild Atlantis' star drive, I think. I I forget what it is, but it's actually, it's really good. It's really interesting. Um, That thing came up with... um, her darling Knox, the Knox planet, talking to Atlantis. We've had at least 15 stories about this. I've got all these tabs open. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is um, like I said, um, Stargate is my home fandom, and it's where I'm, um, where I've done the most reading. Um, there's very little slash McKay Rodney fiction in, um, in. Uh, Stargate that I haven't read unless it has non-con in it or rate, but I don't read those. Um, <coughs> and I haven't read... <coughs> I'm not allowed to read <coughs> Crimes Against Humanity. Is that what it's called? I was told I couldn't read that one. So, See? See? You, you, those of you on the podcast can't see this, but Lady Hole just posted in really big capital letters, you are totally not allowed to read that one. I'm not allowed to read Crimes Against Humanity. I also haven't read that one, um, The Seven Cities, this, The Walls, Seven Walls, um, for the same reason. Yeah, I can't read that one either. Lady Holder is the bestest best friend. She reads stuff I'm not allowed to read. Let, let me know I'm not allowed to read them. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the thing is, is um, <clears throat> I, um, I'm actually a very delicate reader when it comes to certain things. And one of the reasons why I, I ended up 
dipping so deeply into Harry Potter and into the Harry Hermione um, is because there came a point because somebody did something to me um, in chat exposed me to something that kind of triggered me and I could not write gay sex for almost a year so when Lady Hoare tells me I can't read something I take her at her word (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> People were very naughty. Okay, so the seven links, um, I have gathered them all, and I will send them to you for the whatever you do with the final podcast. Yeah, I'll put so them up on the podcast for people, so... Everybody has them all. So I was going to there was something that I kind of was thinking way earlier... I wanted to mention it. It's sort of interesting because it's, cause it's the last two plot drifts. I did the first one, and then um, well, you did the first one, and then I did the second one, and then Lady Holder did the third one. Is um, the um, the story I mentioned in chat about how Tony and Gibbs were mentally bonded? And one thing mm-hmm. the author addressed was people think differently, and um, it was kind of hysterical because Gibbs is like Tony's mind is like you know all over the place. And it's all these different thoughts at once. And to him, it's like really noisy. Like, how do you function with all those thoughts at once? And Gibbs' mind is one thought at a time. Like, oh, there's a thought, throw it out. There's a thought, throw it out. That one works, that one doesn't. And it's like this process of elimination. <laughs> and each of them, they're in each other's mind going, how do you function like this? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's interesting that came up because um, – that's almost illustrative of different ways that Lady Holder and I have of plotting. Was it is, yeah. The the spread versus the straight line. <laughs> Lady Holder is a spreader, and it was really interesting listening to her to her spread out on on the podcast. And I was like, um, I think I'm kind of a mixture of the two of you, in that I do have a straight line, but. Um, I can spread my plot out in front of me and see the the problems I'm going to have if I do this or if I do that. Um, so I can kind of do both, but I prefer a straight line. I don't like to meander around in a circle. I also can't write out of line normally. I can insert scenes after I'm finished and move scenes around, but I'm not someone who can often write, like, the last scene of a story first. I have to write no. in scene order. You, usually, every once in a while, I'll get an idea for, the story idea comes from a scene, and, like, I have to get that scene down, and then I go and plot the story, and then often the story, that scene changes to fit the story I actually wrote. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm, I'm very much a linear writer, start at the beginning. And when I have it, sometimes I get stuck and I'll go, I'm going to skip a scene and come back to it. It never works. I just get frustrated. That scene the only, is often not happening. The only time I can do that is if I'm not really in the mood to write sex. I can write insert sex scene here and then skip to the next. Well, that's true. I, I've done that. and yeah. I can skip a sex scene. That's just about it, though. But sometimes I'll be writing something and I'll do something in one scene. I'll go, okay, I need to go back and add this to this before I do this. In fact, when I was writing Courting Hermione Granger, um, I had um, I had only plotted like 18 chapters um, instead of 20. And I, when I 
started writing what I was going to consider my last chapter, I realized I had a problem, and it wasn't a continuity problem, but um, it was a pace problem, I believe. Wouldn't you say it was pacing? I would call it, I don't know it was pacing, it was like a, it was like a tone, the tone changed abruptly. Yeah, it was just like it was, there was a sharp turn, and there was, you know, I had to, so I, I went back and I replotted um, the last part of the last arc, and I inserted two chapters between, um, and kind of reorganized it a little bit, but, uh, and which I think evened it out, and sometimes you don't even notice that you've done that until you're in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you just gotta, but when you do realize, I think it's important for you to stop and assess, because sometimes if you don't stop and assess and you plow right through, it, you end up with a really dissatisfying moment as a writer, and that's really terrible. Mm -hmm. I had that with my most recently finished story, which was Memories, which is, you were involved in the first Mm -hmm. 7K of this, because I wrote wrote the first 7K, and I was like, something's not right. And I was going to keep going and writing to my plot document, but I just knew it was wrong, and I could not for the life of me figure out what I had done wrong. And the thing is, I was looking at the plot, not the character, and that was where my mistake was, was then I had made a tragic characterization error. And uh, for a character that wasn't even in the story really all that much, (laughs) (laughs) but central to the plot. (laughs) And uh, you agreed to, uh, to read that for 7K, and so, well, do you think Tony would really have done this one critical thing? I was like, no, he wouldn't have. <laughs> and, gee, that's so central to the plot. <laughs> Let me go replot this whole thing. Because sometimes it, you, you need an outside perspective to go, hey, um, is is this what you intended to do? Did you mean for your character to do this? Is this what was supposed to happen? <laughs> but also sometimes... When you're reading it and you think to yourself, do I want to ask them if they mean to do this? Because I don't want to um, throw them off their game or, you know, depending on who it is, you know, they, people, some writers are very sensitive. So when you ask them, hey, did you mean to make your character an asshole that I want to kill? Because if you did, <laughs> great job. Great job. I want rocks to fall on him all the time. <laughs> Excellent work. But if not, you've got a problem because your character is a fucking asshole. Not that her character was because it was Gibbs. Well, Gibbs is an asshole, but that's a separate matter. <laughs> I was almost unassholing him in that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were. You, you kind of fucked up his asshole a little bit there. Um, <laughs> Assholectomy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, of, a little bit of one. There is a scene in No Enemy Within where John um, is exposed to. Rodney's brain for the first time and he is exposed to um, Rodney's deep emotional connection uh, uh, attachment to him as well but there is that intellectual difference between them Um, and what crossed my mind is I you know I'm I'm above average intelligence but I knew someone in um in college who would be quali- would be by anybody's definition considered a, a a genius and he literally did not look at the world the same way as the rest of us his perception of everything was just about Five degrees off normal. 
And it was amazing. It was amazing watching him talk about something and, you know, oh, this is a really pretty flower. And he go, oh, you know what? It's not really pretty. And, and let me tell you why. <laughs> or actually, it's beautiful. And let me tell you why. Um, because, like, it, it was just it was just really interesting. So when I was writing that moment with um, John and Rodney, I thought to myself that, you know, Rodney doesn't think, isn't organized mentally the way the rest of us are. I mean, he he literally cannot be. Um, and probably neither is Sam Carter. You know, they're, they're very, very, very smart people. And people who are very smart that way... Um, their brain just doesn't work the way ours does. But also, if you can compare it to a writer and a non-writer, because and I've said this before and I'll say it again, I don't know what non-writers do with their brain when they're not talking. Or even when they are talking. I plot and talk. Oh. I don't understand what you're doing with your brain, people. I asked and my husband, like a, he was like, um... Wondering what's for dinner? What? I, or thinking about this, or thinking about that, and I'm thinking, he's like, well, what do you use your brain for? And I was like, I write books in my brain. He was like, all the time? And he was just really floored. But I do spend a great deal of my time writing, whether I'm physically writing or not. I have probably written upwards of a thousand novels in my head that will never be on paper. They were just in my brain. My current, usually my mental preoccupation of the moment, whichever one captures my attention and just I just go into it every time I have five minutes to think, is the one that I never get on paper because I write it completely in my own brain. And then you're done. And, and yeah, you don't like, want to okay. Back. You get finished, you go, well, that was really satisfying. I did a good job. Moving on. <laughs> but then sometimes you'll rewrite a scene over and over and over and over in your head until you have no choice but to start writing it because mm-hmm. it will just not let you go. And I have a scene like that in my head, um, and I started writing it down. And it was um, – the scene is is that um, – I'm not sure if I put this on EAD or not. I don't think I did. Maybe I did. I think it is on EAD. It's the one where um, Lily and James come home um, from dinner, and Harry is on their patio, and he's a, he's grown up, he's an adult, and he's getting drunk, and they realize that his proposal didn't go the way it was supposed to. Yes, you did. It was very sad. And, um, uh, that scene was in my head for months, and I kept over and over and over again, I would write it, but I would never get past that part where Lily left. Like, what what happened after that? You know, why did she say no? Um, or what happened? You know, and it just, um, and the part that really stuck with me um, over and over again was the part where Harry told his dad that he wanted him to go because he needed to cry, and he didn't think he could do that in front of him. And James was like, well, of course you can. You know, and that was just like in my head for weeks and weeks and weeks until I wrote it down. And then once I wrote it down, it was like, okay. And then I was able to plot out the rest of it. But until that, I got that scene out of my head and onto, not literally paper, but onto a computer document. Um, it just would not leave me alone and, until I got it out and started to explore it. So, anyways. It's just stories haunt you. Some stories just are in your head. 
and they got to get out. And some stories just stay in your head, and you can work them all out in your head and write them and live them, and then they're done. But you're right. I don't know what people who don't do that do with their time. I don't know what they do with their brain. I, I really don't know what non-writers do with their brain. I um, And it confuses me when they say they don't do anything with their brain. I'm like, what? I plot books when I'm watching TV. I, <laughs> I don't know... You're Plot it better. Go, oh, I know, I know how this show. I know how this episode's going to end, and this is how I would have done it. <laughs> now, the I want to remind everybody who's listening that the show, that the series that Julie was talking about, it's NCIS, where um, Tony and Gibbs get bonded, is called High and Tight, and it's by the Cookie Mama, and it's on um, AO3, and I will be putting a link up in the podcast notes um, for those of you who are um, not in the chat room and didn't get the link that way. Um, but, uh, I really don't know what you guys do with your brain if you're not writing. Um, I feel like you're wasting your brain. Start doing something with your brain. I'm just starting to do something with it. I don't know. Just, just, I don't know. Masturbate. Just do something with your brain. <laughs> do something. Plan, plan a knitting project. Do something. But I think it's just because people who are creative are just literally wired differently than people who are not creative. Um, But I still don't know what you do with your brain. Can you imagine connecting to the brain if you're somebody like, let's say, like, I don't know, somebody who's very scientific, connects with the brain of somebody who's very musical, and they're always composing in their head? No, actually, for someone like Rodney, that would be beautiful. Rodney would probably dig it, but I'm wondering what, how something like maybe like John would deal with something like that, where you're mentally connected to somebody who's got music all the time. Like <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like the song that never ends, except it's <laughs> lots of songs that never end. <laughs> I watch people too, and I make stuff up about what they're doing. A lot of people in my area have hostages in their basement. <laughs> Just to let you know. <laughs> You've watched too much Criminal Minds. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Anyway, we're down to 36 seconds. I want to thank everybody for joining us. And um, um, if you have actual plot drift ideas, which would be like a single sentence prompt, um... I don't know if I want you to send them to me. I'll think about it, and during my next radio show, I'll let you know. You guys have a good evening and a good weekend, and I will talk to you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, Jilly. <laughs>